from Pastor Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. It was a cool, brisk fall day. In spite of the light rainfall, it was a festive, vintage, western Pennsylvania homecoming day. The band played every group from future farmers of America to the veterans of foreign wars marched along the parade route. We were chilly beneath our umbrella, but who could walk away from all this homey entertainment? At the end of the parade was a troop of junior majorettes uh, ages three to five. One near the rear caught my eye. She looked to be under three years of age. Her skimpy costume left her body exposed to the elements. She was crying. As the troop marched in the drizzle, she kept breaking rank, running to her mother. There was no comfort there. Her mother kept pushing her back to her place in the rank. I will never forget the sense of desperation and confusion in the eyes of this tyke as she marched sobbing. The mother's actions implied a certain parenting goal. We may suppose that she wanted her daughter to be beautiful and sought after. She knew that you can't start too young to prepare your child to fulfill your childhood dreams. Well, that is something of a mother. It's very easy for us to imagine fathers as well living out something of their desires and their goals and their children. If you have your handout sheet before you, let's look at Roman number one, the identification of our great goal in child rearing, our great goal. What is most important for you? Do you want money? Do you want fame? Do you want power, influence, in your child, how do you want them to turn out? Well, first of all, A, the overarching goal, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God to, and to enjoy Him forever. And this is true in whatever we do, whether we're eating a meal or we are raising precious lives before God. We want to pass along to our children something of that heart's desire that they uh, glorify God in the way that we have as parents. We don't want our children to be raised in a way that we look big. We don't want to raise our children in a way that they look big, We want to raise our children with a perspective that God looks big and important. Secondly, B, the first particular goal, to be a believing citizen of heaven. Now, let me say something about how these goals kind of relate. I'm simply giving an A and a B and a C in the goals But if we were diagramming this or being true to priority, we would say there is one goal that we want to glorify God in the raising of our children. And A, underneath that one main goal, would be that we want them to be believing citizens of heaven. 
and then be under that overarching goal of glorifying God would be that they be productive citizens here on earth. Well, here we are back to John Engel James. What is our goal? That they would be believing citizens of heaven. Listen to James. Keep it ever before the mind that the great design is to form well the character of the children, to train up the citizen for the world and the Christian for the church, to assist the child as a mortal, to go with honor and comfort through this life, and as an immortal, to reach life everlasting. And I believe that what I am doing with these goals of uh, having our children to be believing citizens of heaven, and right along with that, to have them to be productive citizens here on earth, is that I'm just trying to simplify and separate what John Engel James is doing here in bringing together the scriptural information. And if you get nothing else, I hope that you will get these categories of thought. What do I want for my children? I want them to be citizens in heaven, and I want them to be citizens here on earth. I want them to be believing citizens of heaven, and I want them to be productive citizens here on the earth. Well, why do I say this? Well, the first text would be Ephesians 6 and verse 4, that we are to bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And if we are going to train them in the Lord, if we're going to admonish them in the Lord, then we will work to have them to be in the Lord. We will want them to bless Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's interesting to see how this is brought together in several Old Testament passages. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we've got uh, something of this higher citizenship, uh, the goal of them being a believing citizen of heaven and something of the earthly as well. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 2 that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and all his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. And in that one statement, in that one verse, you've got the highest and the most noble making them to be citizens of heaven. There's the fearing of the Lord, and yet we want their time here on earth to be extended, and so there's that temporal goal. Both things are there. If we drop our eyes down to verse 4, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And if we are blessed by God to realize this goal, 
that they are loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, where are they going to be for all eternity? They will be in heaven because it is going to take a regenerated heart in order to begin with this kind of love for God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. And so we find then further in verse 7, 8, something of our activity in this. What, what are we doing in our child rearing? Uh, you shall teach them, Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So uh, this is something where the parent is motivated And they are taking the opportunity to speak to the child. So here's their activity. Here's their their motivated activity. And what is the goal that they have off there in the future? Well, part of it is this supreme spiritual goal that they love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, which means that they will be believers. They will be fearing the Lord. Fearing the Lord... Fearing God is that language of the Old Testament that speaks of a relationship with God. If in the New Testament we talk about someone being a believer in God, then in the Old Testament would be this language that they are a fearer of God. They fear God. And this fear of God means that I always know who God is, where God is, and what God expects of me. And once again, when we have that biblical definition of the fear of God, we're seeing that this child who fears God knows who he is, where he is, present with them, and what God expects. He knows, uh, I know that I am accountable to him That is the thinking of a regenerate heart. But then turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs 23. So from Deuteronomy 6, that high point, to Solomon's teaching here in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 23 and verse 13. And this is a verse that we read in our scripture reading, and it may stick out as a little bit odd as a text, for what our goal is, but I think if we look at it more closely, you'll see the connection. Proverbs 23 and verse 13 and 14. Do not withhold correction. This is our word for paideia that we were looking at this morning, this word of uh, physical uh, uh, correction, this word of chastening. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. So what is the ultimate goal of that corrective discipline being administered to a child? Well, it is so that they will turn out of the way and not go to hell. You will deliver them from that. And what is that? to do, but to say they are not going to hell, but they are going to heaven. And in order to accomplish that, there is a, um, the goal that is realized 
is that that child becomes a believing citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I grant that it is negatively worded, but what else can it mean? And it's helpful, isn't it? That in this mundane, in this physical discipline, this sting on the backside that I have to work myself up to, my great goal in this is for them to know that I, as the authority in their life, will enforce the will of God. And when I give a threat, I will carry through with it. Just like God, when he gives a threat, he will carry through with it. And I'm consistent in this because I want to deliver the soul from hell. Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 1. If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom, skill in living, and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek for her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives Wisdom. Now here, the writer is appealing to the son and saying to the son, if you go this direction, then you will know the fear of the Lord. You will know who God is, you will know where God is, and you will know what God expects of you. You will be in a state of salvation. You will be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And then Proverbs 23 and verse 26. What is our goal in our entreaty, in our interaction with our children? 23, 26. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Here I am. I am committed to the God of heaven. This is the way I walk. This is the direction of my life, and I want you to take your heart, your inner being, and I want you to put it in the same path that I am in. Proverbs 24 and verse 2, more explicit. My son, fear the Lord. This is my goal as I'm talking to you, as I'm instructing you. I want you to know every day of your life, who God is, where he is, and what he expects of you. And now thirdly, C, the second particular goal. So there's this one goal, this overarching goal that we glorify God and enjoy him forever. There are these two subsidiary goals, these two goals that are a part of the great goal, and the first is that they become a citizen of heaven. This third, uh, this third point C, the second particular goal, is to be a productive citizen on earth. And here, if we look at Ephesians 6, or if you listen to me read, uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 2, "'Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise.'" 
that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So part of our goal in raising our children has to do with their eternal state, that they are set with God there in heaven for all eternity. But very plainly, this fifth commandment is brought over to the New Testament to say it's still legitimate to be thinking of certain goals for your children that are more temporary, that are more earthly, that you may live long on the earth. It is not carnal for me to want you as my child, as my grandchild, to know how to work hard. It's not wrong for me to want certain character to be in your life and have certain character in your life even before you're converted. Because I am working to set you up for a happy and meaningful life here on earth, or at least to have some measure of temporal blessing in your life until you get converted, and then you'll be able to build on those common grace goals that we have been working on as parents. Well, let's come back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We saw there a little bit both parts of the goal, believing citizen of heaven, a productive citizen on earth. We've got the believing citizen of heaven there in verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God. We saw that believing citizen of heaven wrapped up in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But now notice with me the latter part of verse 2. I want you to keep his commandments and I want you to teach these things, command these things to your son and your grandson all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Once again, we're talking about a temporal aspect. There's the one track that is up here and is the heavenly track. There is this earthly track along below. And I'm saying this and underscoring this point because there are some times where plainly those in the world so emphasize the earthly track, that's the only thing that they see. And sometimes believers in an overreaction to that worldly way of thinking, they just focus on the heavenly track. The only thing I'm concerned about is that my son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter, believes in the Lord and it doesn't matter if they uh, eat like a caveman, if they show dis- disrespect. We don't, we don't worry about anything. We only want them to be citizens of heaven. There are these two legitimate goals that are in view. So we saw the one of on the earthly track, all the days of your life, latter part of verse 2, now in the latter part of verse 3. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has 
promise you. Now, I understand that these goals are present here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 because this is revelation that is coming to us when Israel was both the church and the nation. And there were these two things together, and so there's kind of a commingling. But when we find the same later on in Ephesians 6, there is to be that honoring of parents, but there is also that goal of temporal blessing here on earth. We find those two things together. Well, let's move ahead. Uh, Proverbs 29 and verse 15. The rod and the rebuke give wisdom, give skill in living, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And I believe that this passage is saying to a mother, it is legitimate for you to be working certain principles, certain character into the behavior of your child so that that child will not be an embarrassment to you. Now, perhaps you think that's too self-centered. But isn't that what the proverb is saying? It is okay for you to want your child to be a productive citizen who is a credit to his parents in the broader community. So there are these two parts, these two goals, the citizen on the way to heaven, the citizen who is productive here on earth. And then Proverbs 3 and verse 1. Let me read uh, several of these verses as they tie together. My son, do not forget my law. I'm talking to you. I am working in my child rearing. But let your heart keep my commands. My commands are so wrapped up with God's commands. If you keep my commands, you'll be keeping God's commands. For length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. If you'll do this, it's going to be for your good. You remember how in Proverbs 29, 15, if I can work this character into you, son, then I, you won't be an embarrassment to me, your mother. Earthly, self-centered. There is the appeal. That's a part of the, the wisdom literature of the book of Proverbs. But here it is. The appeal is not to the mother, but to the kid. For length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. I want you to be a productive citizen so that God looks on your heart and he smiles. But I also want men and women of the world, to look on you and to smile as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Again, you see the two tracks here. The believing citizen of heaven who fears the Lord. Uh, the productive citizen here on earth who has imbibed certain principles of living 
and is seeking to build something of a beautiful life, whether or not that person is yet a believer, and both of these tracks go along together. Listen to Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. First Samuel 2.26, the child grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. My child, you are a lazy sinner, and I want you to move from being a lazy sinner. I want you to be a believer, but I want you to move from being a lazy sinner to being one who is diligent in your work here on the earth. My son, my daughter, you are a lying sinner. I need you to move from that because I want you to be a citizen of heaven. At the same time, the best and productive citizen here on the earth is not going to be going around lying to people all the time. And that's not carnal. It's the two tracks there together. Our great goal, Roman numeral two, common distractions. Common distractions from our great goal in our child rearing. And these distractions are set in contrast to the great goal of having our child to be a citizen of heaven. These are lesser goals, but lesser goals that may get in the way of the great goal. So first of all, A, the lesser goal of developing special temporal skills. I want you to play baseball, and I want you to play football, and I want you to play hockey, and I want you to be in soccer and gymnastics and swimming and dance and play the piano and play the violin. And I want you to excel in all this. And I'm going to be hauling you all over the county in order for you to be involved in all of these things. Okay, fine. But do you see how that lesser goal of you excelling in some sport, excelling in the piano, excelling in that, that if it's given to so much that the lesser goal can become an idol that gets in the way of that great goal of them being a believing citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And I am sorry that society has changed over the last 50 years in the way that it has, but it has changed. I am sorry that the Bull Boys weren't able to play their championship football league games on Saturday afternoon or Saturday night or Friday evening. Years ago, they wouldn't be putting these on the Lord's Day. 
And as a parent, especially if you're giving yourself, giving your child to all of the sports, and you got to look where it's going to go. And pretty soon, you're making an idol of this thing where it's either God and his day or their sports. And that's not going to do your kid any good. At the same time, we want our children to be good citizens here on the earth. We want them to be involved, and our children should be involved in these activities to develop a modicum of familiarity with the world so that they can talk to anyone and hopefully be able to talk uh, regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is able to use the athletic games over and over again in the scriptures. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. There are life lessons that can be learned on the athletic field, on the basketball or tennis court. On the other hand, too many of these things brings a frenetic pace that undermines our working for the great goal. There are many legitimate life lessons of hard work and practice and perseverance and training that any one of these disciplines, whether musical or athletic, There are many blessings to come. It just cannot become an idol that pushes away our great goal of believing citizens. Secondly, B, the lesser goal. And again, the lesser goal compared to that great goal. The lesser goal of becoming psychologically well-adjusted. And here, Pastor Tripp talks about the gurus who promise to teach you how to build self-esteem in your children. He asks, have you noticed no books promise to help produce children who esteem others? It's more how to be effective with people. Still other experts pandering to your fear of overindulging your children promise children who are not spoiled. Every issue of the Book of the Month Club catalog has its pop psychology for children offerings. Parents buy them by the millions, bowing to the experts who tell them what kind of training their children need. This is the question that we must ask. Are these psychological goals for Christians? Wouldn't we be better off with the Solomonic psychology that has been tried and tested for thousands of years? Let others take the never-dying souls of their children and experiment on them with the latest pop psychology, the lesser goals. Thirdly, see the lesser goal of acquiring a good education. A good education is a wonderful thing. Uh, 12, 24 Proverbs, the hand of the diligent will rule. 
The lazy man will be put to forced labor. We want our kids to excel. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Daniel chapter 1. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. There was a place for education. But we all know that education can kind of come into the circle of our lives and just crowd us to the point where it has become an idol and we're not able to concentrate on the great goal of having our children to be believing citizens of heaven. The lesser goal of becoming well-behaved. We want them to be well-behaved. But it's quite possible to train the external behavior without reaching the heart. And we don't want children who simply say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. They know how to behave. They know how to get along. But it's only a facade. The heart has not been addressed. E the lesser goal of securing the conversion event. Pastor Tripp, I have met many parents whose preoccupation is getting their children saved. They focus on getting their children to pray the sinner's prayer. They want him to ask Jesus to come into his heart. They take Johnny to child evangelism, fellowship functions, good news clubs, summer camps, or anywhere else where someone will bring him to a decision to trust Christ. They think that if their child would get saved, all the problems of living would be solved. It's this decision event that can actually get in the way of this highest track of a believing citizen of heaven. There is the thought that once my child has this decision experience, everything will wonderfully fit into place. And I remember being troubled by the thinking of Christians decades ago where there wasn't really a concern to train them to be a good citizen here on earth because that's all unnecessary. That's all We're just going to get them to decide for Jesus and then that's all that there is. So what is our great goal? I want my child to be a believing citizen of heaven. And I want him or her to be a productive citizen here on earth. Roman numeral three. I'm just going to give you the headings here. A, I'm saying we need to have a critique. Uh, there is a method of raising children that is counting on the training. The raising of our children is viewed like growing tomatoes. And I choose that particular example because that's the example that I heard from the lips of a man some 
45 years ago. I was just married. We didn't have any children. But I knew that was wrong. If you want to raise your children, then you just need to have the right amount of things like soil and water and fertilizer and sunlight, and pretty soon you're going to have red, ripe tomatoes. No. The sovereignty of God is is almost completely left out of this formula. The importance of regeneration is left out. And it's what's behind thinking of Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. If you've been faithful in raising the kid, then you know that that kid is going to be saved. Well, that proverb is a general principle and not an airtight promise. The critique of methods. Secondly, counting on the family covenant. Raising, this is B, raising covenantal children is fundamentally different. Where someone who is brought into the home by God, brought into a covenantal home, listen to Doug Wilson, the children of unbelievers are unclean. The children of Christian parents are covenantally sanctified, even though their nature is not necessarily changed through regeneration. I'm not really sure what this is saying. But isn't the biblical message that all children have fundamentally the same problem? All children are not seeking God. All children are totally depraved. My child needs the regenerating power of God's Spirit just as much as any other child, any other place in the world. And when they speak to us of covenantal children and we can expect that they will be saved, well, what about Isaac? One of his was and one of his wasn't. And I don't find a a lot of comfort and assurance of saying, well, a covenantal child, you can expect them to be saved. When sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not, it's better to have Acts 2.39 in our minds. For the promise is to you, to your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Thirdly, see, I'm passing over pages of information, but there's a possibility of giving so much information that the more important thing falls to the ground. Thirdly, see, raising children requires training and evangelism. Pastor Tripp, I train the behavior and plead for the heart. I diligently pray for the behavior. I labor diligently and pray for the behavior. And I evangelize and plead for his heart. At the core of their beings, our children are selfish like all other children and they need God's Spirit to work. 
In chapter 1, he talks of getting to the heart of the behavior. And I want you to hear these two quotes. You see then how the heart attitudes direct behavior? This is always true. All behavior is linked to attitudes of the heart. Therefore, discipline must address attitudes of the heart. This understanding does marvelous things for discipline. It makes the heart the issue, not just the behavior. It focuses correction on the deeper things than just a changed behavior. The profoundest issue is what happens in the heart. Your concern is to unmask your child's sin, helping him to understand how it reflects a heart that is strayed from God. That leads to the cross of Christ. It underscores the need for a Savior. It provides opportunities to show the glories of God who sent his Son to change hearts. One more quote from Ted Tripp. This emphasis is the fundamental tenet of this book. Anytime the author of an important book tells you this is the important thing, then our ears need to perk up. The heart is the wellspring of life. Therefore, parenting is concerned with shepherding the heart. You must learn to work from the behavior you see back to the heart, exposing heart issues for your children. In short, you must learn to engage them, not just reprove them. Help them to see the ways that they are trying to quench their soul's thirst with that which cannot satisfy. You must help your kids gain a clear focus on the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, Roman numeral four. The practical relevance of our goal in child rearing. A, our goal is to train the heart of their behavior and to bring them to faith in Christ. To dear little Molly, we want you to see how your kicking and screaming and anger shows your selfishness. You want to be the center of attention, and you don't want God to be the center of attention. It is our job as your parents to enforce God's claims on your life. Once again, picking one quote out of several. B, our goal, because of its spirituality, places high spiritual demands on us. Spiritual battles are fought with spiritual strength. You need to be a godly Christian parent in order to impart a spiritual power to your parenting. It's not just raising tomatoes. This much dirt, this much fertilizer, this much water, and this much sunlight, and it doesn't matter whose hand brings it. It does matter whose hand brings it. It needs to be the hand of a godly parent who is walking with God and has some measure of spiritual power. Thirdly, see, our goal is subject to the ultimate sovereignty of God. To Isaac, who was in covenant with God, was that covenant son of promise, 
Yet it was said to his wife, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Parents who fail to see their goal realized will always be able to find imperfections with their own parenting. Parents of the drunken rebels spoken of in Deuteronomy 21 were not perfect, but they did their duty in confronting that child. They did give him directives, and they had chastened him, yet he is still stubborn, rebellious, a glutton, and a drunkard. And in that old covenant situation, it's not the parents of the stubborn and rebellious son who are stoned. It is the rebel who has had all of the truth and all of the parental involvement who will not hear. We need to embrace the Bible has a doctrine of the foolish son. Though we may never know who that foolish son is ultimately in this life. Parents may be exemplary and not see their goals realized. David was a great warrior king, but the scripture tells us that he wasn't the best dad. Eli, the high priest... But his faults are recorded there for us that he would not confront those sons. He did not restrain them. And yet we are told of Samuel that his sons did not walk in his ways. His sons turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. But Samuel is not faulted in his raising of his children. And though there is no record of his son, Joel being a believer, his grandson, Heman, was. Parents may be exemplary and not see their goals realized. Nonetheless, our goals are, I want him or her to be a believing citizen of heaven, a productive citizen here on earth. Our goal is subject to the ultimate sovereignty of God. Well, there's more that I could say. If you had another hour, I think I could probably pretty well fill it up. But that's enough. So let's, on this Father's Day, reflect on these broad principles. There's a lot that we're to do. That balance thing, not provoking, nurturing them, bringing them up in love, embracing the tools that God has given. And then this evening, these two tracks... I want my son or daughter to be a believing citizen of heaven. But I also want them to be a productive citizen here on earth. And if they're not saved until they're 30, if they're not saved until they're 40 or 50, then at least there's a common grace foundation for them 
that when the light kicks on and they want to serve God, there's all this other structure that is there that will be of benefit to them. Let's pray. Father, some of us sit here and have a measure of pain as we think of where our sons, where our daughters are at this moment. We thank you, God, for the measure of truth that we have been able to convey to our sons and daughters. Some of us were converted later in life, and we didn't have all of these things worked out as we maybe should have had. But we thank you that you are the God of grace, and we thank you that you can yet use us as parents in the lives of grown children. We pray for your grace to come. We pray that you would bring the new birth. There is no salesmanship that we as a parent can engage in uh, to talk our kids uh, into the kingdom of heaven. We need you to do your great work of regenerating the heart, of opening the eyes to see the sin, to mourn over it, and then to seek to be right with the Lord Jesus in faith. Father, hear our prayers. Look on our children with mercy and compassion and make them all to be believing citizens of heaven. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.